And then in the sincere words of the next verse, Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. God, we come before you asking a lot. We ask a lot this morning because we are asking that you give us eyes to see your goodness all around us. And it's hard to see that sometimes. It's hard to see the goodness around us. And so we ask for your help. We ask you to give us eyes to see, ears to hear. And in the meantime, we pray that you keep using us as your hands and feet, your voice, your presence, your goodness in a world that continues to need your gospel that we know through Christ, in Jesus' name. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it good? You may recognize these questions in keeping with Philippians 4.8, one of our dwelling passages this year. A passage that we read a number of times over the summer, that we've read throughout this year, as a constant reminder that when we look around us, even in this room, we see things that are true and right and lovely, pure and good. And we need that. And then when we look at Genesis, one of the great big questions that Genesis answers is, how did the people of God wind up in Egypt? Because if you know the big stories of the people of God, you know about Jerusalem and promised land and all that, but how did they get to Egypt? And that's what Genesis does. You go all the way back to the beginning of the story and go from Abraham, and it tells us where he is, but we don't really know where he is. We don't know a lot about where Abraham came from other than the name of the place. We know he was somewhere, and then we know that God said, I want you to go somewhere else. And Abram said, where? And then he went. And then you have Isaac. Jacob and Joseph, and it's kind of the same story over and over again. God says, go somewhere else. Well, where do you want me to go? Just go. I'll be with you. Does that sound familiar at all? Not just from Genesis, but throughout the story of God's people and maybe even our own. You ever feel like God takes us and says, okay, you've been here for a while. Glad you've enjoyed it. Now go somewhere else. And it doesn't even have to be a physical place. Sometimes it's God reminding us, no, I'm with you. And I'll go with you no matter where I ask you to go, no matter what I ask you to do. This is the way Genesis ends. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to 
Isaac and to Jacob. We know what he's talking about. We know this promised land. And the people eventually wound up there. Because you know where they are when that happens, right? Land of Goshen. You know, they're right where they need to be. It's like, wait, God, we're comfortable here. We like it here. Yeah, but don't forget that you're in slavery and haven't you gotten tired of making bricks yet? Well, there's that, but at the same time, and we just get so used to it. We get so used to being where we are and we don't realize, wait, this is not that great of a place to be. And yet when we look around, we look around this morning, this is a good place to be. It's good for us to be here. But whatever God has in mind, God says, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. And so they left the land of Goshen and went through Exodus, all through the desert and wound up in the promised land. They land in the promised land. There they are. Everything's going great. They tell God, we want a king. And God says, you don't need a king. And they say, okay, can we have a king? And God says, you don't need a king. And finally gives in, okay, you can have a king. Let's build a temple. They build the temple. Everything seems to be going great. And then you know what happens, right? David dies. The kingdom starts getting a little bit wobbly. And then it's not that long. Right down the middle. Starts to divide. Israel and Judah. And you know why? You know the real reason that it split down the middle even though they were in the promised land? It's because they did what the people of God have been doing for decades and centuries and generation after generation. And you know what that is? They forgot. They did not remember. They forgot what it was like to be in the land of Goshen and God say, I want you to go here. I'll go with you and I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you in the promised land a land flowing with milk and honey. And they started taking the milk and the honey for granted. And then they started taking God for granted. And they took one another for granted. And so God says, well, it's time to go again. Thus, Assyria and Babylon. And now it's Egypt all over again. And God sends people to them. Voices like Ezekiel that says, I know you people don't like Babylon, and I know that the food is bad, and the customs are a little bit peculiar, and I know you want to go home, and we will. But before we go home, let me tell you one thing. God is with us. And you know what the people said? Yeah, but we think that God will be with us more if we can go back to Jerusalem. And the prophets keep saying, we will. We will go back to Jerusalem. But for right now, God is with you. And God is just as much with you now by these rivers in Babylon as God is going to be with you in Jerusalem. 
And we forget that sometimes. And you know why? Because the people of God, through the centuries, generation to generation, are good at forgetting. We're good at it. We forget. We take things for granted. We take our situations for granted. And that's why God keeps saying these things over and over again. We think that what we have to do is get back to the promised land. We sing songs about we have to get ourselves back to the garden. Well, no we don't. Because God is just as much with us now. At 1910, Bering Drive, in November of 2018, as God has ever been with us. God is not more with us now than God was with us back then? That's the story of Genesis. No matter what happens, God keeps saying, remember, I'm with you always. And this doesn't stop with Jesus. Jesus comes once they rebuild the second temple. And Jesus is saying the same thing. Remember, I'm with you always. And Jesus reminds us that the promised land is whenever God is with us. It may seem kind of out of place to read from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 at the end of a long series on Genesis. But bear with me and see if it doesn't make sense once you hear what Jesus has to say in light of everything that we've heard in Genesis. And even if I, I knew there would be a lot of friends and family here today who haven't heard the whole Genesis series, and that's all right. You, have, you know Genesis, Noah, Abraham, all that. Well, here's where it comes together. This is Jesus right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to the span of your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and is tomorrow thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. We worry too much about tomorrow. We just, we worry too much about tomorrow. Where are we going to be tomorrow? I'm not sure about five years from now. I don't know about ten years from now. You know who else in history has said those things? Everybody. Everybody who's ever walked the face of the earth. This is nothing new. But we do worry too much about tomorrow. And meanwhile, we miss the promised land today. You see, from Jacob to Joseph and all the way to Jesus, the song remains the same. God tells the people of God back then, I am with you. And then Jesus comes and reminds the people, I never went anywhere. I was with you all along. And I will continue to go with you. You know, the very last thing that Jesus preached in Matthew, long after the Sermon on the Mount, you know what Jesus says in Matthew 28, the very last chapter, the last recorded thing, it starts with a word that we too easily forget. You know, the first word of Matthew 28, 20 is, it is the word, remember. Remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, chances are probably pretty good that by 6 o'clock or so tonight, we're going to forget that. It's what we do. We tend to forget. So I don't know, write it down, put it on a post-it note and hang it up around the house. Don't forget what Jesus said. Remember, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And the good news is we're not to the end of the age yet. Um, tomorrow night when you watch the news, you might think otherwise. This is it. It's over. I know, but it's not. We're not there yet. Remember, Jesus says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You know how we are introduced to Jesus in Matthew 1? You know how we meet Jesus? You know, Matthew introduces Jesus. He gives him a name. We would think of it probably more as a title, but it's to help us get through all of these stories and even our own life on a daily basis. You know how we meet Jesus in Matthew 1? Emmanuel. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you Emmanuel. And you know what Emmanuel means? It means God is with us. Don't forget that. 
remember, how are we introduced to God in Genesis? Pretty much the same way. God creates. God surveys creation and says, that's good. The garden, the trees, the giraffes, and the duck-billed platypus. That's good. Water, food, you know, carrots, broccoli, all the good stuff. Yank it out of the ground, that's good. And then God creates in image. And you know what Adam and Eve looked like? Isn't that what people want to know? It's easy. Look around the room. They looked like us. We looked like them. And you know what God said on the day you were born? God looked at you and said, not, that's good, said, very good. And that's the story of Genesis. That's why when God says, I'm sending you somewhere, we ask a logical question, where? Because we want to know, are we there yet? That's not children, that's us. We're sitting in the back seat of God's car constantly through this life saying, are we there yet? God says, not quite. Well, when are we going to get there? When we get there. And God says, I'll go with you. Basically, grace is God's first name and probably last too. I just read this from Richard Rohr. Grace is what God does to keep all things He has made in love and alive forever. Grace is God's official job description. Grace is not something God gives. Grace is who God is. If we are to believe the primary witnesses, an unexplainable goodness is at work. Right here, right now. This is the story of Genesis. Not story back then that you can turn to. It's not everybody turning your Bibles back to page one. It's right now. This is the story of God unfolding right here in this place. God is with us. Saying that, it just sounds true. It's noble. It's right. God is with us, which is the purest statement ever made. It is lovely. And just like God surveying creation at the very beginning, God looks at our proclamation over the last few months in Genesis and says the same thing that we have learned to say as well. And it was good. Amen.